Service Right Podcast, a weekly conservative news show brought to you by Restoration of America. I'm Jerry Ewalt, Chief Marketing Officer for Restoration of America. Today, we are blessed to speak with Brian Gitt, an independent thinker in the green energy arena. Like a growing number of voices, he has come to the realization that the coming green revolution is a scientific impossibility. Brian says wind and solar are not our future. Rather, our best bet for sustainable energy is going to be nuclear and natural gas. Well, Brian, it's a, it's a true honor to have you on the show. Welcome. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to chat. Absolutely. So you have had a fantastic career in the energy sector, energy tech. Give us some highlights. So at the core, I'm an energy entrepreneur, investor, and writer, and I've spent the last 25 years working on various different types of energy technologies, everything from energy efficient lighting technologies and heating and air conditioning in, in buildings to solar panels to fuel cell vehicles uh, to wireless power systems. So a whole variety of technologies, uh, mostly all with the aim and the mission to reduce emissions and reduce environmental impact. And what I realized after many years is that I was really chasing the, the wrong solutions and that these solutions really weren't working. They weren't scaling. And um, it really opened my eyes to um, the kinds of technologies I needed to focus on. So you're a true environmentalist. You're, you're trying to use technology for the greater good. You have all the best intentions jumping into the energy industry, if you will. Yeah, I mean, I got into this because I fell in love with the outdoors. I used to lead wilderness trips for teenagers in Alaska and the Southwest, and I wanted to do something to protect these beautiful areas that I enjoyed. So at my heart, I am an environmentalist, and that's why I got into the energy business in the beginning. Yeah, and so you've uh, you spent your career in the this energy field, and, and you've done a lot of different technology. And you mentioned something that you were focused on the wrong thing. And I, I call this the, the green, the renewable green energy fallacy. So tell us, a, I have a, actually have a couple of questions on this one particularly, and you can help us maybe understand where we're going wrong here. So the first question is, I've been told ever since I was in I don't, elementary school, high school, that we're going to run out of fossil fuels and we have to find an alternative. Is this a true statement? It's false. You know, 90% of the fossil fuels in a million years from now will still be in the ground. But this is a myth that I believe very deeply. There's a, there's a bunch of myths that, that unfortunately uh, myself and many others have been indoctrinated with um, and believe and are shaping our energy policy. And the, the idea that fossil fuels is running out is, is just the tip of the iceberg. Uh, nuclear power is dangerous is another myth. Solar, wind, and electric vehicles are the most effective way to reduce emissions. Mm -hmm. there's, there's a whole bunch of myths that are pervasive in our culture and are really impacting our energy policy. But myth number one, we're not in danger of losing or, or not having enough fossil fuels anytime soon. A million years? Maybe more. <laughs> <laughs> well, we are in danger of not having enough because we're not allowing the companies to actually right. increase production. Um, there's so many limitations and regulations and a lot of divestment from that industry on the, the finance side. So the reason why we're having the core reason why we're having a global energy crisis right now is lack of investment in fossil fuels. That is the core reason. Of course, the Russia-Ukraine war was a catalyst and is contributing. There's other 
uh, confounding factors. But the root of this, well before the war ever started, we had a right. huge deficiency in supply. And that is structural. That's from years of underinvestment. Yeah. So, uh, you know, that narrative of we're going to run out turned into, but the environment, we need to do this because it's for it's the right thing to do the, for the environment. So my next question for you is, are these renewable green energies actually good for the environment? No, solar and wind power are expensive, expensive, wasteful add-ons to the existing power grid. And the irony is, is that they're harmful to the environment. When you look across all of the environmental categories, you can't just look at CO2 emissions is your uh, all-encompassing metric. You got to evaluate these things clearly on a whole variety of metrics, including land use. So let's just take that one, for example. So a nuclear power plant consumes 75 times less land than a solar plant and 360 times less land than a wind farm. So when you're looking at the total cost and total environmental impact, you got to look at land. You got to look at materials use. You know, a nuclear plant uses 18 times less materials. This everything from steel and glass and aluminum, all of the various resources that go into making these things um, than these renewable energy mm -hmm. technologies. Um, you, so you have to really consider all of these factors. I think that that's an important point, right? Because I, I, right now, I think most Americans picture an electric car going down the road and there's no tailpipes on these. There's no emissions. We're saying, wow, this is completely green energy. It's not polluting at all. But you're telling me something different. I've heard you actually say that you're just shifting the pollution from the car source to the power plant. So can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. I mean, energy just doesn't magically fall from the sky. It's got to be generated somewhere. It's got to be pulled out of the ground. And that's what electric vehicles are doing. They're shifting the emissions from the tailpipe to the power plant. Now, you can reduce emissions overall if you have an efficient power plant. If you're using, let's say, a highly efficient natural gas power plant or a nuclear power plant, then yeah, you're going to be reducing emissions using electric vehicles. So I'm not anti-electric vehicles, but we have to be mm -hmm. honest about what the overall impact is. And the reality is that the majority of new electric vehicles are in China. And China is mostly producing electricity via coal plants. So in many parts of China, you're actually emitting more emissions by using an electric vehicle because coming out the, the factory, there's more embodied energy because of all those critical minerals that go into the battery, the nickel, the lithium, um, all of those components. Plus, because the battery is so heavy, it's a thousand pound battery in the average electric vehicle. Well, now mm -hmm. you have to figure out other ways to reduce weight in the car. So they go to higher grade aluminum and carbon fiber and other alloys to basically reduce the weight, all using more energy. So when you look at this, um, holistically, you could actually be generating more emissions if you're driving an electric vehicle in China. And in most of the U.S., you're still generating, you're not really saving a considerable amount. So, so Brian, you, you just blew my mind there, right? So you're telling me that driving an electric car actually consumes more energy than driving a combustible engine car. That, that's what you just said, correct? Well, it, it depends on the source of the power, right? In yeah. some grids in some countries, yes, you're going to generate more emissions. But um, and even in a country like the United States, it varies depending on where your source of power is and the type of car you're driving overall. So some, some electric vehicles will have some marginal savings. But 
it's not cost effective at all. Let's zoom out. What's the goal? What are we trying to achieve here? And the bottom line is, if the goal is to reduce emissions and reduce specifically carbon emissions, which is what the, a lot of the proponents of electric vehicles state, this is one of the most expensive ways you could possibly reduce carbon emissions. It doesn't make any sense. There's so many other ways um, that we could radically reduce carbon emissions without subsidizing electric vehicle use. So, so I recognize that there is a massive debate around re it does reducing carbon emissions have any impact whatsoever on the environment we'll save that for later uh, but the question here though is what you're i guess what you're telling me is that it is actually uh, not reducing carbon emissions in fact it's increasing carbon emissions when you have when you use these renewable green technologies such as electric cars for example well it, again it depends in china yes yeah. so yeah in unfortunately most of the new electric vehicles are in China. So in those situations, right. you are going to be increasing emissions. And here's, here's something with uh, solar and wind that people don't often think about. Because these are intermittent power sources, meaning they're obviously not generating power all the time. The sun's not always shining. The wind's not always blowing. Well, you need a thermal power plant, usually natural gas, to be idling, ready to go, to basically crank up uh, immediately because we demand 24 seven power. You don't just expect mm -hmm. your power not to be available when you, when you go to use your hot water or to flip on a light switch or use your computer. So because of that, you need to have all of the existing infrastructure of thermal power plants. You need to be running them idling. So they have to maintain a certain amount of heat and a certain amount of inertia in the power plant. So they're still burning about you know 50% of the fuel just to keep it idling. So you need to account for those emissions as well as um, the whatever is embodied in the solar and wind farm to create those things. So oftentimes that gets left out of the equation when people are calculating the true emissions of solar and wind. You have to look at the, the whole picture is what you're saying. And that makes a lot of sense. So you could summarize so far, plenty of fossil fuels available to us. We're not in any danger of running out. Um, we, we know that, um, what was it, that it's not environmentally friendly as, as it's being positioned. So if you put those two to the side, tell me, does, does the technology actually work? Is it generating the type of power that we want, right? The sustainable, uh, renewable energy? No, we're not, we're not meeting the goals at, at all. I mean, these were, t I think Germany is the best example of this because they've spent the last 20 years, over two decades, they've invested mm -hmm. almost a half a trillion euros, or now it's almost one to one with dollars equivalent, um, in these technologies. And what we found is we're actually increasing, we're going back to coal, increasing emissions. They've built a redundant power grid that doesn't have the inherent characteristics of reliability, affordability, resilience that is needed. And therefore, when, when they need it, and we're seeing in real time the deindustrialization of Germany, which is the heart of Europe's industrial sector, because they don't have access to low-cost, affordable energy. Because and they of became yeah, it's all due to energy. They became over-reliant on Russian gas imports because they refused to produce domestic uh, natural gas exploration and fracking. They shut down their nuclear power plants and they over-invested in solar and wind power. Yeah, especially, I mean, anyone who's been to Germany knows that it's not sunny uh, every day of the year, uh, maybe unlike California. But so you're investing in all these, um, especially solar. 
it's it's not going to work. So the question is, why would why would they go in, why would they go in this direction? You bring up a great point. I mean, it doesn't make any sense to invest in the technology. Let's take solar in Germany in a northern latitude climate. It's only generating power 12% of the year. 12% of the 12%. time. 12%. Yes, 12% is when is the amount of time solar is actually generating maximum amount of power on the German grid. So why would you double down and put all your investment in there versus a nuclear plant that runs over 90% of the time? That doesn't make any logical sense. Wow. These these technologies are inherently limited by physics um, and the intermittency of those technologies. Now, I, I heard you say in a previous uh, article or, or write in a previous article that 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 12 percent in Germany turns into 24 percent, even in a place like California. So even in a place that's always sunny where you live, it's it's only 24 percent. Is that right? That's exactly correct. And look at the problems we're having here in California. We're basically barely able to keep the lights on in the summer because everyone's cranking up their air conditioners and we don't have enough power. You know, we've shut down our nuclear power plants in California. We we import a huge amount of our energy, almost close to 30 percent from other surrounding states because we've shut down natural gas plants. We shut down coal plants. And what are we left with? We're left with unreliable wind and solar power that can't deliver when you need it. Yeah, you know, I, I really believe the American population is starting to wake up to this fact, right? All the stuff that you're talking about makes perfect sense. So then my question to you is, why do so many politicians and the media outlets continue to hammer on the American people to go out and buy this technology that just doesn't work and it's not even good for the environment? Well, they've been indoctrinated in these beliefs and they, just like myself for many years, I, I, these were part of my identity. And for politicians, it's a little different because their incentive is to get elected, right? Every politician needs to get elected. They're going to jump on whatever is trending in the moment and can get them votes. And right now, uh, solar and wind power and electric vehicles, it's trending. It's popular. It's, it's kind of the, the in thing. And they know that if they say the right words, they can get more votes. So you just have to look at the incentives. The problem is there's no accountability for this. So these politicians are going to be, are going to be long gone after all this money is deployed and invested yeah. in these technologies. And when we're left with a grid that's not working and people are paying an astronomical amount for energy, um, they're not going to have to pay the price. It's the taxpayers that are going to have to pay the price ultimately. Well, and, and I think you're being kind about that, right? Because it's going to be devastating for people, right? Look at look at inflation and the recession that we're under right now. If you continue to subsidize this type of energy, right, it's it's going to only exasperate the situation, and people's lives will be ruined as a result. Yeah, we're already seeing this all around the world. We're seeing riots. We're seeing energy rationing, even in the wealthiest countries, in in Germany and parts of Europe. If you live in a multifamily building, some of these buildings, they're telling you you can't take hot showers at certain times of the day. And they're turning off um, on, you know, any kind of public lighting or dimming the lighting or they're not even heating swimming pools. I mean, you're seeing in wealthy countries energy rationing due, due to these really poor decisions around energy policy. And this is only going to get worse as they double down on these bad ideas. And again, to reinforce the point that you made earlier. We have plenty of fossil fuels, and if done correctly, it, it will actually better, be better for the environment than most of these renewable, sustainable green energy technologies. 
if, if you care about the environment, the most effective ways to reduce emissions and to shrink footprint and preserve uh, wild areas and natural habitat is to invest in highly efficient natural gas and nuclear power plants. That, that is the solution. Yeah. It's, it's really that simple. We should not be investing in these unreliable intermittent power sources such as solar and wind that, create, that consume more resources and that enforce us to use our existing energy system inefficiently. Now, I want to come back to nuclear and natural gas in a little bit, but um, you are very articulate in this and you're very experienced. I have to I have to know, how do people react when you share this news with them that otherwise think that they're doing the right thing by buying an electric vehicle or putting solar panels on their house? Well, I think there's a range of reactions, right? I mean, it depends how... Um, how much of the, uh, their identity is tied to these beliefs. And I understand this. I used to be this way, so I, I can appreciate it. But, you know, on one extreme, you have people that are completely irrational um, and you could give them every fact in the world backed up by credible third party sources and they're not going to believe you because the reality is they're going to have to change their identity. These are not just uh, a fact that you're potentially challenging. You're, you're challenging who they think they are and how they see themselves in the world. And so it's not so easy just to flip a switch or flip, you know, turn on a dime. Uh, but, you know, I feel like there's more and more people that are starting to wake up to this reality. Uh, people like me, people that believe these things and over many years in, in experience see how hollow these technologies and the promises of them are mm -hmm. and what we really need to do. Well, I think that's very wise. You, you mentioned indoctrination, and then it becomes part of who you are. And that's, that's hard to change, right? If that's your identity, and, and we're telling you to change, or what you think you were uh, is wrong, that, that's a hard thing to change. And that's, that's what we're up against, is what you're saying. Yeah, we need better storytelling. I mean, when, when you look at any successful campaign or brand, like Nike, Apple, these big companies, they don't pound you with facts to tell you how many tennis players uh, are wearing Nike clothes, right? They tell you a story about Serena Williams or, um, you know, a player overcoming adversity, Tiger Woods, and, and rising to the top. It's all about storytelling. Um, you can't just pound people. Of course, you have to have the foundation of facts there and relevant, but that's honestly not really what convinces people and changes minds. So you got to win people's hearts through storytelling and really selling the emotional piece as well. Yeah, it's the emotional draw that, that works. I, I, I agree with you on that. So there's, there's another aspect to all of this that we haven't touched on yet, and that's the geopolitical aspect of these renewable energies. Um, Mark Mills uh, made a comment that said that China is the OPEC of renewable energy, right? Because of the production and refinement of all these renewable energies here. Why would we want to turn over the future of our energy production to a to a foreign foe? Why would we do that? We shouldn't do that. <laughs> I, mean, it's a, I mean, that would be a serious mistake. I mean, the reality is that China has a chokehold on the supply chain throughout the entire supply chain of wind, solar and electric vehicles. Um, when you take solar, for example, 97% of the solar wafers or the components that make up a solar cell that go into a solar panel are made in China. Um, and you go all the way down the line in terms of how they're assembled and manufactured. All of these pieces are coming out of China or they're coming out of Southeast Asia using core components from China. And so mm -hmm. any country that is going to um, 
puts their future in the hands of an adversarial country like China is is at risk. I mean, it's the same situation what we're seeing right now with Germany and Russia. Like Germany put their future um, in Russia's hands by being so dependent on Russia for natural gas. We would be making the same mistake if we go all in on this renewables fantasy and put these essential components of our energy system um, in the hands of China, which they currently control. Now, some some argue that, oh, well, we can onshore that, we can build that capacity here. Maybe so, but that's going to take many, many years, well over a decade to really build up that kind of capacity. And I, quite frankly, I don't see it happening. We're, we refuse to build new mines. We, we block all kinds of large infrastructure projects. It's almost impossible to build anything right now in the U.S., much less these heavy industrial facilities and mining operations. That just doesn't seem realistic at all. So we're going to be stuck being relying on China and parts of Asia for mm. these critical minerals and the manufacturing of these industrial processes uh, to make these technologies. And any country that relies on um, an adversarial country is is not thinking clearly. Well, well, let's be clear. We are selling our future as a, com a country uh, for a technology that does not work and is actually not helping the environment at all. So I, it, it, it does. It's, it's unbelievable. Brian. I, uh, I, yeah. Anyway, thanks for sharing that. And I, I want to go now into some of the solutions. Right. So what is. The solution you you bring up that it's it's nuclear and natural gas, correct? Yes, I mean fossil fuels aren't going anywhere. Let's be clear. Ninety-seven percent of all of the transportation fuel in the world. I mean, every time you click that little Amazon buy button to get something shipped to your house, you know you're triggering a supply chain that includes ships, trains, trucks, you know, all kinds of vehicles to deliver that to to you and. The reality is 97% of that is coming from fossil fuels. So fossil fuels aren't going anywhere. Um, we'll continue to burn lower emission fuels and come up with new uh, technology to reduce emissions like we have. Um, but I think the future is nuclear power longer term. Um, now, that's not going to solve all of these transportation applications. You're probably still not going to be using um, using nuclear power to you know power trucks at a mining site or something like that. But Unless we certainly... <laughs> Yeah, but for electricity um, and for heat uh, processes and industrial processing and stuff, nuclear power can can solve that problem. And it has a teeny footprint of land. It has basically zero emissions. Um, it enables our energy security because we are in total control of that, and we can onshore even the the fuel um, for that process as well. So that I think is our inevitable future. Um, with a combination mm -hmm. of fossil fuels in the mix in there as well. Um, but I don't see a, a significant role for these other technologies. I mean, yeah, we're going to use hydro and, and somewhat geothermal energy. These are fine technologies, but they don't scale and they're not available everywhere. In, in the United States, for example, geothermal energy has been stagnant, has been stuck for like 30 years. We haven't mm -hmm. had any, any new development or, or new generation of it. And hydro is also, we're kind of at capacity in many places. So if we're going to grow, which energy is the foundation of our economy, it's how we, we grow our civilization, we're going to need more energy. Yeah, you know, it's interesting when you think about innovation and making things better through technology, it almost feels like we've gone backwards here, right? We, we had, we've had the technology for a very long time. 
to produce all the energy that we need. Can we do it more efficiently? Can we do it in a way that's better for the environment? I'm hearing you say absolutely. Innovations are here, they're coming on that. But the direction that we're heading right now on sustainable green energy is innovation that's actually making things a lot worse. It is. And we've done this before. I mean, look at the shale revolution in the U.S. This was one of the most significant technological innovations, I think, so far in the century. We went from we were worried about running out of natural gas. We were building liquefied natural gas import facilities on the Gulf Coast because we we didn't think we were going to have enough. And through innovation and through entrepreneurship um, and in many years of hard work, we innovated and basically changed the entire global energy system in a period of little over 10 years. We went from being worried about running out to being the largest supplier in the world of oil and natural gas due to fracking innovations. Um, and that really shows the power of the core principles that America is really runs on, which are you know, freedom and liberty and entrepreneurship to innovate and to come up with solutions to hard problems. I love that, Brian. I think you're right on with that. So, so look, Brian, this has been really great. It's very informative. I appreciate all that you're doing out there. Keep up the great work, and uh, we'll have to have you on again. Thank you. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. All right. Well, that's our show for today. Thank you so much for tuning in and supporting conservative media. And don't ever forget that by working together and staying diligent, we conservatives can bring our country back to true greatness. Until next week, let's all keep praying that God will continue to bless America. First Right, a new kind of news summary without the liberal slant. Every morning, in your inbox, always free. Subscribe by texting First Right to 30161. That's First Right, all caps, one word, to 30161.